0: Hey y'all, this is a preview to the latest premium subscriber only episode to Champagne Sharks. So what you're hearing is a small clip of a longer episode that is available over on patreon.com forward slash Champagne Sharks and it's available to premium subscribers who pay $5 a month. And if you want to hear the rest of the episode, go over to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks and subscribe for only $5 a month. You get not only access to this episode in its entirety, but to the whole backlog of premium episodes, which at this point is a hundred episodes at this point so it's a great deal so without further ado here is the preview and i hope we see you on the other side at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks where you can hear the rest i feel like a lot of times uh liberals kind of think they're um immune to um racism or yeah. being caught yeah
1: no and and i and I, it goes you know far beyond all this so you know one of the things I'm struck by particularly in the last you know I don't know how period. Um, you know, a lot of liberals say, you know, we have to hear black voices, black voices. And um, nobody is very interested in hearing from Clarence Thomas. Now, I will say, you know, just because you want to hear from black voices, it doesn't mean you have to hear every black voice. But he does happen to be the most powerful black person in the United States today. Um and so I've oftentimes gotten the question, why would you write a book about Clarence Thomas? What, what significance is he? And I, and it's an odd question to me because nobody would ever Here say, why would you write a book about Neil Gorsuch or why would you write a book about John Roberts or some other Supreme Court justice? They only say it about Clarence Thomas. Um, that's, and that's a great point. Yeah, it, it's it's striking to me. Um, When, when would it ever be, when would you ever question the need for a biography or a legal analysis of a Supreme Court justice, who I might add, writes more opinions than any other justice in any given year, number one, has now written over 700 opinions, number two, number three, um, has been consistently one of the pace setters of throwing down doctrines that initially people bridle at and then come to accept as true. So he was the very first person, just to give an example, to suggest in a Supreme Court opinion that the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, was a personal individual right. Prior to that, everybody said it was a kind of something for state militias. And he was the first. Uh, And now that's the settled, uh, you know, barack obama said the right to bear arms is a personal right well that was clarence thomas who first said that on the court on the modern court
0: Something pretty interesting too that i noticed right is uh you say the reputation that he has so like why do you take him seriously but if you look on twitter his his um you know by by like uh legal nerds or policy wonks people will quote or talk about or sometimes even as, uh liberals will like praise uh in one of his dissents like um how great or interesting or engaging his opinion opinion was, even if they disagree with it, it tends to be the most talked about um, opinion or dissent, but it's seems like no matter how many times his opinion ends up being the most talked about one, it never uh, lasts as far as staying in people's mind that maybe we should change our assessment of him. It's like it becomes an exception each time, how engaging or, or noteworthy or, or quotable his, his opinion uh was.
1: Yeah, in fact, um, I, I mean, I've been dealing with this for, for many years. Um, and one thing I noticed I mean, I mentioned to you before about he was discussing the, the Black Codes and Reconstruction. And it was a case, I think, about um, uh, whether or not uh, use of debt in, in punishment or something like that. I can't remember the specifics of the case. So he wrote this opinion. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg also wrote an opinion where she talked about the Black Codes. And everybody's like, oh, look, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, she talks about the Reconstruction, whatever. Now, to be honest with you, that's not all that remarkable that a liberal jurist would do that. I mean, that's part of, you know, the training. But what was more interesting is that Clarence Thomas did it and it got very little attention. Um, But you're right. uh, It it doesn't have much staying power. Um, I do think it's beginning to change. I mean, I noticed this, um, you know, right around the time my book came out. um, There was, you know, I I, I think because of uh, both the ascension of Neil Gorsuch and, and, and Kavanaugh, Uh, brett Kavanaugh, you know uh, thomas really was perceived now as kind of beginning to solidify his hold and particularly since he's the most senior justice what that means in any given case where john roberts the chief justice is not is on the opposite side it means that thomas gets to decide who assigns the opinion so for instance in the um in the lgbt uh case that we uh just had um, uh, thomas would get to decide who writes the dissenting opinion um same thing with the daca case that we just had so you know he's really beginning to come into his influence and so we're beginning to see more and more articles that talk about clarence thomas's constitution clarence thomas's court um but you know still i think there's just this very stubborn um you know kind of you know suspicion and skepticism about him um and i and i think it has made uh it it's made it hard for him his voice to be heard clearly and you know that was one of the reasons I wrote this book was to try to get people to realize you know ironically once you begin to see the depth of his thought then it becomes truly scary and frightening some of his ideas are the irony of dismissing him and thinking he's just an intellectual lightweight is that you don't really have to grapple with um just how far reaching some of his decisions are. And just to give you one example, so not only is Thomas a big critic of affirmative action, he's also a critic of integration. And people don't realize this, but Clarence Thomas is firmly of the belief, and this is where the black nationalism comes in, uh, that integration was a pretty terrible experiment that failed, um, and it failed for good reason, uh, and that black people would do better to build up their own communities and to separate from white communities. Um, this is, you know, there's no other Supreme Court justice. I mean, some of them may believe this, but nobody would ever say it.
0: He says it. But also what I think is interesting about him is not that he might think that, um, you know, integration is bad or, or or whatever, but I think other people will think it, but he has a, at least professed, uh, pro-black reason for it, yes. which I think uh, and I think it's a pro reason that, um, honestly, a lot of black nationalists um, think. And and there was a uh, Malcolm Gladwell, the author, has a podcast called uh, Revisionist History, and uh, he has an episode where he talks about and and I have some overlap in my thought um, with that, but not quite where uh, Clarence Thomas. Um, Takes it, but Malcolm Gladwell talks about you know it's a revisionist history and in the way you think about um, the way you think about history, accepted uh, truisms might be wrong. And he has an episode about uh, integration and Brown versus Board that uh, really overlaps a lot with a lot with um, some of the quotes on affirmative action and integration that you have from Clarence Thomas, uh, you know, framing it in a in a pro black way. A lot of people like that episode. So those it's like you know people. I think people are surprised how much they would like Clarence Thomas in the black community. Uh, But because of that R in front of his name, they're not Republican. Like a lot of black people have kind of conservative leanings, but they don't want to be Republicans because of the racism. And a lot of them would assume that Clarence uh, Thomas is talking um, white Republican conservatism. But a lot of what Clarence Thomas actually talks about sounds like a lot of dyed-in-the-wool Democrat um, black boomer talking points, like people who are Democrats, but basically have a very um, conservative uh, streak. What was slightly different about uh, Malcolm Gladwell's take, and it's more sympathetic to mine, is that um, like there's a type of idea of integration where just by like osmosis, if you put the white kid uh, next to the black kid, that proximity alone is supposed to um, improve the black kids' life, and that the problem with the schools that the black uh, children had is that there weren't white people around. And Clarence Thomas kind of talks about that in some of the quotes that you um, give, but where um, someone like uh, Malcolm Gladwell or or I differ, isn't that the idea that integration is bad, but so much... What I don't like about the integration is that once it was decided to um, integrate, I thought they did two mistakes. One was that they took the resources or whatever out of the black schools and just focused on getting the black kids into the white schools so a lot of inner city schools kind of dissipated in atrophy like they kind of lost a lot of resources and 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 a lot of um black teachers kind of lost jobs they integrated the kids first and didn't integrate the teachers so they basically sent the kids in first and now they have racist white administrators, racist white teachers. And what I think they made the mistake is they should have integrated the teachers first and the administrators first, then brought in the kids. Then then the kids would have had, like, sympathetic... And, and a lot of teachers were very good teachers who just ended up losing jobs because of integration and the schools losing resources. They were kind of left behind. And people just celebrated the kids being there. But Clarence Thomas doesn't go there. He's, like, 80% in the same ballpark, but... He just kind of stops with just leave it segregated. He doesn't try to think of a better integration. You know, he's he's actually very hardcore, more black nationalist than a lot of uh black liberals. He is kind of a surprising purist, especially for someone married to a white woman.
1: Yeah. So, um there's a lot in what you're saying there. Um, uh, yeah, sorry no, sorry, no, 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 no. It, it's, it, but it's all very relevant to Thomas. Um, but I, you know, I just want to highlight some of the things, which is that you know Thomas really believes that at the heart of the integrationist ideal is an assumption that black kids can only do well. Black people, sorry, not just black kids, black people can only do well when they are in the presence of white people. That the mere presence of white people will somehow improve black people. And you know this is something you see in Stokely Carmichael's um, and Charles Hamilton's book on Black Power. They make the very same critique of integration. They say that the driving assumption behind integration is the is the belief that black people left to themselves uh, will either stagnate or deteriorate, and they need that kind of white um, leavening, you know, for lack of a better word, in order to rise. And Thomas loathes. Uh, that position, uh, and that's a part of his critique. And you see this in in his uh, several of his Supreme Court uh, opinions, um, saying that there's just some kind of a basic assumption. And also, um, will lament the what happened to black schools uh, and black teachers in particular. Uh, will actually lament that. Um, it reminds me a bit of um, uh, Valerie Jarrett, who was Obama's you know senior advisor going back to sh- Chicago days. You know, wrote actually quite a good memoir, and she talked about, you know, one of the ironic byproducts of Jim Crow was that black PhDs couldn't get jobs in universities often, and so they ended up teaching in high schools, and so uh, black students got amazing education uh, because they had these great teachers, and, and you're right that, you know, a lot of that uh, sort of went by the wayside. But yeah, so, I mean, Thomas is very much a believer in that, and, and also will argue that black kids Um, will do worse, oftentimes, uh, in the presence of of white students and has all kinds of reasons why he believes that to be the case. So really does believe that separation of white and black is necessary in order for black people to flourish, uh, and particularly black men, um, who are really at the heart of his vision, black men more than black women.
0: All right. So that was a preview. If you like what you hear and you want to hear the rest of the episode and a hundred more episodes, then by all means, go over to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. Take care, y'all.